Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 3-2, The Eternal Christ. This week in his continuing series on the mystery of Christ, Steve asks us, how big is your gospel? He explains that as our understanding of Christ grows, the gospel becomes more and more beautiful. Thank you, O God. We invite your presence here, Lord. We invite your presence, say, God, come and uh, touch our hearts. Lord, uh, we ask for revelation, but we really ask for encounter with you. So as we pursue the unsearchable riches of Christ, Lord, we ask that that you would bring the illumination that only you can bring. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We've got some folks who were not here for the first part last week, so I'm going to do a very quick review of just some of the highlights. Kind of the central scripture for this series is uh, from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 8, and 9. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. As I said last week, uh, mystery just pervades the entire New Testament. Um, it, the word mystery appears 28 times. Um, Paul uses it 21 times. And yet, among most of the Western church, uh, we never, we're never taught about, we don't talk about um, the mystery of Christ. And I think we've lost our sense of mystery, frankly, uh, to a large degree. Um, and in what's tended to happen, um, especially in the Protestant church in the West, is, is that instead of mystery, the, the vacuum has been filled with principles, with propositional truth, uh, as though through enough study we could figure God out. And all we need to look at, at our church colleges, we'll see that so much of our time is, is really studying. But, you know, I think that in trying to understand God through more study, um, and I'm not at all opposed to study. I, I study all the time. But through the grid, I hope, of embracing this, this limitless, unsearchable Christ. Um, and so what we've done is we've lost the mystery of Christ. And maybe even more than ignoring the mystery of Christ and of the gospel, we almost avoid it. Uh, I know certainly from some of my church tradition, um, probably the first 10 years of, of Christina and I, our walk with the Lord, to, to speak of, of uh, mystery and, and that which is mystical and mysterious would have been, would have been uh, pretty hard to be accepted where we were. I gave you a wonderful quote last week from one of the church fathers, one of the Cappadocian fathers. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa said this, God's name is not known, it is wondered at. I just love that. And as I said last week, a, a gospel without mystery and wonder leads us to a Jesus who 
becomes my personal savior who came so that I could go to heaven instead of the one who holds all of the cosmos together, who created all things, who is in all things. Uh, this is a Jesus who is to be wondered at. Um, and that's a long way away from do you know Jesus as your personal savior. So when I talk about mystery through this series, I think I better give us some common sense of the term. In, in uh, the scriptures, mystery is not a puzzle to be figured out like a, a murder mystery or something. Mystery is, is uh, a divine secret that is revealed by God in his perfect time for our understanding. But at the same time, which we can never fully understand. And so it leads us to the depths of God. And this is, I think, why Paul called it the unsearchable riches of Christ. <clears throat> Without mystery, there is no awe. There's no astonishment. There's no wonder. And without these, I don't think there's any real growth in our, in our walk with him, in, in progressing in our understanding of who this Christ is. Um, the journey of discovering God has always led to mystery. And we talked for a few minutes some examples, and I gave you two primary examples. Because if you're going to pursue Christ, you're, you're being led into a mystery, and it has always been that way. I give you the example of Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, when he encounters, I believe, Christ, when he encounters God, he says, he says, you need to leave your homeland. You need to leave your family. You need to leave what is familiar and go into the into the unfamiliar. Um, if you're making notes, you can look at uh, Hebrews 11.10. I was thinking about that yesterday and today. Because he saw beyond the natural. He, he not only followed him to Canaan, he, we're told by the writer of Hebrews, he was, he was looking for something with, with an eternal foundation. And this is a reflection of the mystery. So he went from the known to the unknown. And then we have Moses. And his first encounter with Christ is at the burning bush. Remember uh, Exodus 3 and 4. There's this bright burning bush. So he starts with light. And then a little while later, his, his next significant encounter is there's, there's a cloud, a shadow by day and a fire by night. So there's mixture. He's coming out of a revelation built on pure light into kind of a mixture. And then we get to Mount Sinai in uh, chapter 20 of Exodus. He goes up the mountain and he encounters God and he is shrouded in darkness. And, you know, this is why one of the, one of the classic um, Dark Night of the Soul by uh, John of the Cross. If you read... Julian of Norwich, if you read Madame Guillon, if you read Fenelon, if you, if you read, right now I'm reading uh, Teresa of Avila, all of them, the pressing into knowing him more 
presses us into mystery and mystery is not always surrounded by light. Okay? So there I just compressed what we talked about last week. So tonight, I want to talk about the eternal Christ. And of course, I knew I would be uh, speaking about this and I've been thinking about it this week. I had kind of a crazy week. Uh, today, I finished my book. I just was working on a book. Yay! Like, Yay! And today I sent it off and it's signed, sealed, and delivered. And yet in the midst of, and that I found that really all-encompassing, you know, my thinking and rewriting. And yet in the midst of it, the, the eternal Christ, because I knew I was talking about that, just kept coming through and coming through. I woke up thinking about it. I was, I took a little break this afternoon and I'm sitting out in the backyard just trying to cool my brain down. <laughs> and it's, it's the eternal Christ, the eternal Christ. So I'm going to try to find some words for this because after all, my purpose is, as I said last week, is to, to begin to enlarge our understanding and maybe even revelation of who this Christ is. Who is this King of glory? I love that from Psalm 24. And and the, the, the interesting challenge is that, yes, many of you who've heard me teach have said, when I'm asked, how do you read the Bible? Well, I read through the Bible once a year, but I read the Gospels every day of my life because I'm drawing, I'm, I'm drawing life from the one I'm following. However, what we must be careful, we must balance that, and we'll get to it in a minute between Paul and the Gospels, we must balance that with this sense of the mystery of Christ, or we have too small of a Jesus. And too small of a Jesus, I promise you, leads to too small of a gospel. For example, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that's how we get a gospel that says, is Jesus your personal savior? Are you going to heaven? And it's so much more. So I'm gonna, oh, I'm hoping the Lord's gonna help me to put some words to this. The radical claim of the New Testament and of the early church was not that Jesus points us to the creator of everything. Rather, Jesus is the creator of everything. He exists in and out of time because he is the creator of time and space. And I say it here again. I see bigger gospel, a bigger Christ means a bigger, truer gospel. I would add a truer gospel. And we receive a growing revelation of how all-encompassing the gospel is. And if it touches the very essence of creation and the cosmos, let me say that again, if, if our revelation of the gospel touches the very essence of all of creation and all of the cosmos, then there is nothing outside of the reach and impact of the gospel and we live in a very dualistic time where we think of that's the spiritual stuff and that's the secular stuff but it's all contained in him and I think this is part of why it's so important that we press into this whole mystery of Christ in these coming weeks the scope of the saving work of Christ reaches everything in the cosmos and I don't know about you but for me, certainly the first decade of my walk with the Lord, the saving work of Christ was that I was forgiven and I was going to heaven. 
But the saving work of Christ is, is the reconciliation of all things, as Paul says. The gospel becomes much more than God's rescue plan for me to get to the next world. And if we're honest, is that not been to some degree the gospel that we've heard? Recognizing, and I'm going to quote Ephesians 1.10 in, in one of the older translations, I think I used the American Standard here, but the summing up of all things in Christ. That's a fantastic phrase, Ephesians 1.10. So recognizing the summing up of all things in Christ helps me to be aware of both the visible and invisible realm that Christ rules over. Last week, I, I touched on something, and I want to go a little deeper into it. We talked about this, this great paradox between the otherness and the nearness of God. Do you remember that? Well, I want to use two terms that the church fathers used for centuries. Um, the, the first word I want to use is essence. And... Um, the essence refers to the transcendent, the invisible, the other, the beyond understanding. Um, I said also there's the imminence, the near, the present, everywhere around us and within us. Some of us know you are all over, around, inside me, this is life. That's a fantastic bit of theology in that simple, simple chorus. So he, God is both further away and nearer to us than anything or anyone else. And that is a paradox. <coughs> so let's look at it in terms of essence and energies. God's essence is the radical transcendence of God. It's who he is in himself. He is completely other. It is who he is. But we cannot see his essence at all. So the other aspect of him is God's energies. And they are God in his activity and in his self-manifestation. Everywhere where we begin to become aware of seeing God, we are seeing the energies of God. The essence of God, I'll just say it again, is, is the radical transcendence, the radical otherness of God. Now, Christ was always Christ. At the incarnation that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, he became Jesus Christ. By the way, Christ wasn't his last name, like Kowalski, right? It was, um, but, but he was always Christ. He was always, Christ was always the second person of the Trinity. He was never not Christ. This is his essence. Apart from any activity, this is his essence. And this is why he said that he is exactly the same as the Father. One of my favorite verses, especially in the Christian Standard Bible, is Hebrews 1.3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Now, when I look at the eternal Christ, this is kind of the nugget of what I've been thinking about the last couple of days. 
Christ, the second person of the triune God of the Trinity. Christ was there before everything came into being. He was there before anything came into being. Now, we probably all have different views of how things came into being and when they came into being. Maybe some of us uh, take uh, the creation story literally and believe that 6,000 years ago, um, God, the triune God, created everything. Others uh, maybe think that God did it as part of what we now call the Big Bang, 13.7 billion years ago, and from, from nothing came everything. Or maybe there's some other time where we have a view somewhere in between. But here's the point. What matters is that the creation of the universe is the energy of God. It is the energy of the triune, inseparable God. It is the energy of Christ. Does that make sense to you? This is how big he is. You just start thinking about this. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have no problem with the Big Bang Theory at all. Because however God did it, God did it. But he didn't come into being at creation. He has always been from before time and beyond time. And it's not God the Father who has always been. It is the triune God who has always been the Father, the Son, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if he created everything, which Scripture so clearly says again and again, well, I'll look at some of those in a minute. And if all of the cosmos, the universe, all of creation is contained within Christ, then it's really fascinating to me and has been for a number of years because we're discovering more about the vastness of this cosmos that is contained in Christ all the time. I went to school in the late 50s through the, in the 60s. And I remember when they told us there were 5,000 galaxies after they told us how many stars were in a galaxy. And you could just hardly get your brain around that. And then it was 5 billion. And the latest ever-growing estimate of galaxies, hold on to your hat, is 2 trillion galaxies, not stars. And he spoke it all into being. And he holds it all together by who he is. It is all in Christ. When Paul says, Colossians chapter 1, you are in Christ, yes we are. But all of creation, all of the cosmos is in Christ. This universe that is expanding at an accelerating rate is all within Christ. Is this not incredible? Who this Christ is? Everybody tracking with me still? So the universe is contained in Christ. He holds all things together. If, if the creation of the universe is the, eman is the uh, emanation, the going out, 
of his essence, then the vastness and age of the cosmos causes me to see Christ in ever greater eternal and infinite frameworks. It really does. Like the disciples exclaimed after Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, what manner of man is this? Because you see, their paradigm just got bigger. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him heal. He was a red hot teacher, but he spoke to the elements and they obeyed. And they go, who is this? Every new discovery of the nature of the universe in our world should do the very same for us. Next point I want to make is that Jesus did not become Christ. He already was. It's too easy for us to think about Jesus coming to earth as a man who leaves his, his I'll call it his godness behind. It's even easy for us to think that somehow his perfect obedience on earth allowed him to become the exalted one, seated at the right hand of the Father. No, that's who he is and always was. The New Testament contains a number of passages that clearly speak of the eternal Christ. Why don't we learn about these things? Because many of these passages are key, key passages that are well known. But, but whether it's John or whether it's Paul, even, even 1 John, the writer of 1 John, are shouting out the, the essence, the energies, the infinite and the eternal Christ. So let me just give you a couple of examples. And if anyone's listening and they want to get more of this, you can go back to the podcast series on John's Gospel. We did many week series. And right up at the beginning, I did a, a whole evening on the prologue, which is that and Colossians 1, I think, are the two clearest examples of what we're talking about, of the mystery of Christ. But let's just look at it a little bit. John begins with a bang. In the beginning was the Word. If anybody cares what he literally said, if you do a literal translation of the Greek, he said, in the origin was the Logos. In the origin. Somehow that word goes deeper for me, even than beginning. I, I understand there's there synonyms, but there's something about origin that's, that's so foundational. In the origin was the Logos. The Logos is almost always translated word, and it's not a bad translation. I don't know how else you'd translate it. But the problem is, the word Logos is so much richer than any single English word we have. Logos meant not only in the beginning was the word, but it, it includes in the beginning was the idea, and in the beginning was the action. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's one rich word. So, the beginning is before creation. In the beginning wasn't when, you know, the, the, the stars, when the universe was formed. It is before that. It's before the energies. It contains the mystery of before time. I find before time to be a hard thing to understand. But it leads me, frankly, as I'm praying and spending time with him, it leads me into a deeper place with a bigger Christ. Verse 2 in the prologue. 
He was with God, with the Father, in the beginning, in the origin again. So God the Son, Christ, has always had eternal life with the Father. Always. It didn't start up sometime. All things... And, and I say that, and I, that's why I go back to, to the, the origin, the beginning of the universe, whether it was Big Bang or whether it was 6,000 years ago, whatever, whatever framework you're comfortable with. That's not when Christ began. It was before that. It was before time. And it was his essence. Verse 3, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created. Say, not one thing. Not one thing. That just eliminates dualism right there. Yeah. It eliminates dualism right there. We don't have a secular and a sacred. We don't have the parts that, that he rules over and that he doesn't rule over. That he's interested in and he isn't interested in. Not one thing. Apart from him, not one thing was created. So nothing apart from him. This week's episode is brought to you by Steve's latest book, The First Church Restored. Uh, you may have heard him mention a few minutes ago, actually, that he had just finished writing a book, but this recording is a few months old, and so that book's already been published and is ready for you to read. The First Church Restored demonstrates how Jesus and the early church made disciples, and then challenges us to do the same. Uh, throughout the book, Steve tells stories of how these principles are transforming northern India. Speaking of India, and I did warn you that I wouldn't leave you alone about this one, we're taking a team to northern India March 8th to the 20th. If you want to experience the house churches that Steve talks about in his book, this journey of compassion is an awesome opportunity. Uh, every year, we make sure that every member of the team gets to visit a house church at least once, discovering the vibrant, abundant life of the early church. So if you've already read The First Church Restored and you're longing to see it in action, let me take you to see it for yourself. If you haven't read the book yet, well, what are you waiting for? You can purchase it at impactnations.com shop. In fact, I tell you what, if you register for the journey to India, I'll even send you a free book. Just shoot me an email at podcast at impactnations.com. Tell me you heard my offer on the podcast and you want to take me up on it. Uh, and then you'll be able to read that book and then go and experience it for yourself. Head to impactnations.com India to learn more about the journey. I sure hope to see you there. And now back to the podcast. Now, I want to go to the other great Christological passage, which is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Any of you who've listened to me teach know that I come back to this a lot. And I love to go to the first three chapters of Ephesians. But tonight, we're going to just look briefly at three verses. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, he existed before anything uh, was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. I'm using the New Living Translation because it's clear on some of the points, but he made the visible and the invisible, the more traditional translations say. Uh, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. We often would call those principalities and powers. Everything was created through him and for him. Say, through him and for him. Through him and for him. 
Christ existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. So, in verse 15, he's the invisible image of the visible God. He existed before anything. He says, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember in John 14, he says that? It's what he was saying was more than, you see, I had too much of a reduced Jesus. So I only understood it as when he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying, when you see me being kind, that's what the Father is like. When you see me healing, that's what the Father is like. That's true, but it's too small. What he's saying, I believe, is if you've seen me, you are seeing the Father. We are the same essence. He said, I and the Father are one. The Son, Christ, Jesus Christ the Son, came as the visible expression of the invisible God. And then we've got verse 16, through him God created everything, um, things we can see and we can't see. And so here it is again, everything was created through him. Think of this in terms of the almost infinite past. Think of it in terms of the present. What's he creating right now in the universe? Right now. Right now, what's he creating? Stars, galaxies, and on and on and on. And what's he going to create in the future? And again, I've pointed out, note, visible and invisible, things we can see and can't see, the natural and the spiritual realm. What's Paul doing? He is expanding the Colossians' vision and understanding, and I believe he's praying for revelation for them of who this Christ really is. And I would say that we, the church, need the very same thing. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says this, God has appointed Christ heir of all things and made the universe through him. So here's something interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this. The Gospels, especially the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are about the historical Jesus. Jesus, the carpenter's son. Jesus, the healer, the deliverer. Jesus who went to the cross. But they are almost exclusively about the historical Jesus. But Paul almost never talks about Jesus. Paul talks about the Christ, the eternal one. Isn't that interesting? He obviously fully embraces all that Jesus did on earth. He fully embraces the work of the cross, all of it. But he is lifting the church's eyes higher, broadening their revelation to this eternal, incredible Christ, the mystery of Christ, he calls it. You ever notice that, that difference between Paul and the Gospels? Steve, can you do a quick thing on what Christ means? Well, Christ literally means the anointed. Christ means 
uh, in a uh, uh, in a Hebrew translation means Messiah, but Christ as the anointed Christ is what I've just said is the second person of the Trinity. Remember, we talked about the Trinity about six months ago. We'll get back there again. But the Christ is the one and only one who is begotten of the Father, not created, begotten uh, before time. Okay? So, if Christ created all things, and if all things are held together in him, and if all things are for him, then all of creation reflects and expresses the eternal Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? Therefore, you knew there was a therefore coming. If we really see this, then we, as followers of Christ, must be those who value and care for this creation, for our world because of what I just said. Creation reflects and expresses Christ. And the fact that historically we have not done this can be seen as a reflection, I think, of too small a gospel and too small of a Christ. If we had a real revelation of who Christ is, we would, we would stand in the gap on the creation. On, on its abuse, or I could use a stronger word, because it is an expression and a reflection of Christ. It's not Christ, that's pantheism, but it is the, the reflection of him. We're back to essence and energy. So, we're going to talk about his incarnation in a couple of weeks, because the incarnation is the bullseye of the mystery of Christ. And, uh, but for now, I want to just say a couple of things about the incarnation in terms of the eternal Christ. The incarnation is about Christ, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, entering into his own creation. Okay? That's what the incarnation at the heart of it is. He enters into that which he created and holds together. This means two things. The incarnation shows us how deep and wide and high and long is the love of Christ for his creation because he entered into it. So much more than how deep and wide and long and high is his love for me, which is marvelous, which is incredible, but it goes so much bigger because he entered into creation, not just me. And secondly, I think the incarnation, when we understand this, restores the sacred dimension to creation, to nature. Again, 
we've got to be careful that we're not becoming pantheists and saying God is that tree because he's not a pantheist would say that but that tree expresses the love of Christ the creativity of Christ and so frankly the last couple of years as I've been on this part of this journey into the mystery of Christ it's affected it's affected my walks I'm amazed I go for a walk and I just become aware of the presence of God through his creation and Christina will tell you I've never been one who's been very aware or sensitive to nature or the creation but I think if we start to understand the things I've shared tonight you can't help but begin to see creation differently. And it's not to be used and abused because it is the expression of Christ. Okay, move on to another point. We're going pretty quick tonight. I said it would be shorter tonight. Remember Jesus' priestly prayer, John 17? Wonderful prayer. Well, in that prayer, he reveals that he has lived in and with the glorious eternal presence of the Father. As Jesus pours out his heart to the Father, we have a glimpse of what took place before the foundation of the world. And it's beautiful. Before time began, in their essence, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were eternally loving one another. This love is the source of all life. This is the center of everything. I believe it with all my heart. That's why sometimes you'll hear me speak. I'm going to be in California this weekend, and I know at some point I'm going to say the whole movement of God, the whole movement of the cosmos is toward forgiveness, and, uh, and love and compassion. Hector's here. He's heard me say it in South America last month. Why? Because this is at the center of the essence of the triune God. This is the source of all life. And so when we move in that, we move in life. When I move in anything away from that, self-protection, judgment, irritation, anger, whatever. When I move away from this, the, the, the activity of the Trinity, I'm moving away from life. But when I move in the direction of love and forgiveness and compassion, I'm moving right into the life stream. In Ephesians 1.4, we see where Paul says, before the foundation of the world, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, as the Father and the Son were eternally loving, other, loving one another, they were choosing us as the focus of their infinitely overflowing love. This is why love is at the center of the cosmos, and has been so before time began. This is when we get to the Trinity. I've taught this a little bit before. The divine dance, the church fathers called this activity of the Trinity. And what's incredible in the incarnation is Jesus says, come home. You're part of this dance. 
That's just a teaser for a few weeks from now. Number seven, Christ not only existed before time, he existed outside of the confines of time. When confronted by the religious leaders of the temple, it's in John 7, Jesus said, I am going to the one who sent me. I'm going to the Father. You'll look for me, but you will not find me. Now notice this. John 7, 34. You will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Clearly, the grammar says where I am, not where I'm going to be. I'm going to be where you can't follow me. He says, while he's talking to them, he's saying where I am, you cannot come. Isn't that fascinating? He is beyond time and space. That's why he can be with the Pharisees and not with the Pharisees at the same moment. Jesus is the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's a big part of my morning prayer these days. The one who, who was and who is and to, is, is to come. Outside of time, Christ is all of these at once. Number eight. It is so important for us to immerse ourselves in the life and the words and the deeds of Jesus as revealed in the four Gospels. But in doing so, we must remember that he came to reveal to us the glorious eternal life of the triune God. I was always fascinated. Daniel sees God and he hits the deck as though a dead man. Ezekiel hits the deck as though a dead man. When Christ shows up in the Old Testament, they think, I'm a dead man. Uh, Samson's parents, for example. In John 13, Jesus says, somebody's going to betray me. He actually says it, I think, in all four Gospels. And... Peter says, hey, John, find out which one of us it is. And John, in incredible intimacy, leans on the chest of Jesus. Remember that? Says, who is it? Now, many decades later, in Revelation, he sees who he really is. He sees the Christ. Same John. But now he sees who he is. And he hits the deck, just like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. They're on the mountain of transfiguration, remember? Matthew 17. And suddenly this cloud comes and it says depending on your translation but Matthew's trying to create words for this his clothes dazzled whiter than any launderer could make them one translation says remember that mm -hmm. I don't think he suddenly was changing I think they saw who he really was and always was but it's like they have shades on so who is this King of Glory 
Who is this one who lives before and outside of time and space? Who is before all things, and by him all things hold together? This eternal, infinite Christ. Well, I hope you've been challenged and encouraged by the podcast this week. If you have any questions for Steve that you'd like him to answer in an upcoming episode, send them to podcast at impactnations.com, and we'll be sure to discuss those in just a couple of weeks. Don't forget to check out his new book or get it for free by registering for the journey to India. You can head to impactnations.com to learn more about both of those things. In the meantime, have a great week.